and there's a brochure and instructions out there. What an amazing ministry to just spread the light of Jesus. So, hey, I, my name is Pastor Brad. If I haven't met you, welcome to church. It's good to have you here. I'm excited about the word this morning, and we're going we're gonna to get into it in a moment. Before we do that, I was reminded on the way in this morning, I don't know if you saw it, depending on which way you came into church, uh, Tiffany Smiley was having like a, a uh, what, what do you call it, a rally or a meeting or something over at, Ording, at the downtown Ording there. And so uh, just a reminder, vote as, uh, as Christians. It's our responsibility, I believe, to participate in our community. If you've not registered to vote, you should do that so you can vote next time. Uh, but make sure to vote. Look at what the issues are. Uh, I know sometimes in this state I feel like my vote's not even like mattering, right? There's some really close elections right now, and, and there's a lot at stake, and just looking at who's out there and the candidates, I was, my daughter and I were watching, I don't get real political from the, from the, the front here, but we were watching, uh, so there's been so many commercials, are you ready for them to be over? Oh my gosh. Um, I was with Leanna, we were watching the show, and there's this like Kim Schreier ad is just like, Matt Larkin is pro-life, he's pro-life. It doesn't say it that way, but it's over and over and over again. I was like, and she's like, well, that makes it easy. And uh, I was like, well, well, there you go. I mean, she's smart when she figured out she's 13. I mean, Thank you for helping me know how to vote. Um, anyway, um, get your vote in. There's some close races, uh, and our votes matter. It's important as Christians to engage in our society, as in be a part of this. And this is one way we can do that. So I just want to encourage you, if you haven't done that yet, uh, you don't have much time left, but get that in. So, all right, enough of that. Let's get into the Word. Uh, we are in a sermon series right now uh, called Jericho Must Fall. And we're looking in the book of Joshua, um, really along the lines of our theme this year, which is move mountains, that we believe that God is a God who can move mountains. And some of you are facing some mountains, some of you are facing some things, some of you are, have some things in front of you right now that seem insurmountable. I believe that our God is a God who can move that thing. He is a God that can move mountains. As we study the, the fall of Jericho, uh, what we discover in this is, is all the lessons along the way that God taught his people and is teaching us on what it looks like when Jericho falls in our life. And I believe that there are uh, walls that we come around, some, some strongholds. In the, in the Old Testament, the Israelites had these this stronghold called Jericho, a fortified city. And it was standing in the way of God's promise for his people. And if they were going to experience the promise of God, Jericho had to fall. Jericho must fall. And I want us over these next several weeks to really begin to, to press into the Lord in prayer, to, to press in as we in our faith. And if there's things in your life that you feel like are stuck places, that are broken places, that are things that seem just impossible to move out of the way. I want you over this next several weeks to really, in your mind, and maybe, maybe even in your, in your home, <laughs> you construct a wall or something, build one out of Legos, whatever it takes. But I want you to I want you just imagine even in your mind like the, these, these castle walls, and I want you to, to, to write on that wall in your mind these things that are really need to fall in your life. Because I believe that those things are going to fall. That God is going to tear down those walls. And so... Let's get into Joshua chapter 2. Last week, uh, we began, we, we talked about uh, being courageous, that courage is required when we face Jericho. Courage is required. And so if you missed that, you can go back on our YouTube page or on our church app, Abundant Life Ording, and there's audio, video, and all that there as well. But there is a courage that is needed. Now, this morning, we're going to look 
at, at a situation now where Joshua, who's the leader of Israel at this time, was sent, sent some spies in to kind of map out what was going to happen. They needed to go in. It's important to go in and figure out what's our battle plan going to be. Isn't that important sometimes in life when you're, you're going somewhere, you ever go on a road trip and you think, okay, what, let's map this out. Where are we going to stay? What road are we going to take? Same thing, you're going to send spies in to figure out how are we going to make this work. So we pick up in Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to cover some of these scriptures this morning, and we'll start with 1 through 7 and take a look at what's going on here in the text. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof, which was a common practice. Those flat roofs, and they would dry. They would have these wet stalks, and they would dry them out there in the sun. Verse 7, So the men set out pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan as soon as the pursuers had gone out, and the gate was shut. So now they're up on the roof. The gate is shut. Now they're locked in. They're locked into the city for the night, and they've been had. They've been discovered. I don't know what you think when you read this. Maybe a lot of things. This is just maybe the context of what's happening. But when I read this text, and I think about these two spies, my thought is, this was a disaster. An absolute mess. That This was a complete mess. These are terrible spies. That's what I think when I read this. Spies, what are spies supposed to do? You ever watch a spy movie? Spies are supposed to get in and get out without being noticed. That's what spies are supposed to do. They actually got caught. They got noticed coming into Jericho. Someone spotted them and knew right away what they were doing there. Complete failure. Then they found a place to stay. Now, I'm sure you've probably researched hotels online beforehand and found one with good reviews, but this ended up being a prostitute's house. That's kind of awkward. You're trying to find a place to stay, and that's where you end up. Then word gets back to the king. That's like mess number two in this whole mission. Word gets back to the king that they were there. Now, they're completely a failure. It's a spoiled mission, and they're done. There's a manhunt out for them. If you are a spy... This is not how you want your mission to go. The officials come to Rahab's house, and they, they come to the door. They're looking for them, and they're up on the roof under some wet flax stalks that are drying, hiding out on the roof. I, I was just, <laughs> picture of mine, what was that conversation like at that moment? You ever, like, get into a situation with someone, and you're, you're going to think, and it's not working out, and all of a sudden you're like, it's your fault. We were, I was watching The Amazing Race the other night, and they're like, you can't read the map right. Well, you can't drive the car right. When things aren't going well, that's kind of what happens. And I was, I, was, I was thinking about these guys, and 
you know, the guy's like, I don't think this is how I saw this going. And, and the other guy's like, I told you not to wear that shirt. I told you it was going to stand out, you know. And the other guy's like, you're the one who picked the hotel. He's like, I had good reviews. And the other guy's like, that's not why I had good reviews. And there's all this mess that's happening in this whole process here. And, and I would be discouraged personally. And like, this is my last spy mission I'm ever going to have. If you've ever, have you ever had a day like this where it's not working out? You ever had a day when you're, you're, you're getting into something and it's just a complete mess. That's, that's what I see happening in the text. Now, I kind of I look at the text sometimes with some humor and just try to figure out what's going on, but when I really look at this, I'm thinking this is more than just some information on what was happening. This is a complete disaster. But then right in this moment, as this mess is made, as they've completely messed it all up, something really unexpected happens. An enemy becomes an ally. And I don't think they saw that coming, but the Lord saw that coming and we're going to look at what happens next in verse 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, being Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, when you were completely, when, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You'll see that as they go back to Joshua in verse 24 with the information they were supposed to bring. Here's what they told Joshua. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. I want to talk to you about this idea that really struck me as I was reading. And this, I, this, this phrase, there is movement in the mess. Movement in the mess. What would happen if in the mess in our lives, the places where we're at, the places where we're overwhelmed, the places where it's just not working, the places that we feel are irreparable, and we're standing and we're staring at Jericho and we're saying those walls look as solid as ever. I want to tell you something this morning. There is movement in the mess. There is movement in the mess of what God is doing in the midst of a situation that looks like nothing good can come out of it. Out of nowhere, Rahab tells them, hey, the word on the street is, we know God's going to help you, and we're completely doomed. We, we know it. In fact, we might look strong. We might look like we are unbeatable. We might look like intimidating. But here's the thing. We know, we, we know that we're just, we can't win. We're terrified. We're absolutely terrified. The stories are out there about what your God can do. Now, up until this point in the mission, as we saw, its complete mission failed. They weren't going to go back to Joshua with a battle plan. That wasn't going to happen. They didn't go, and they weren't able to scope things out. They didn't find out how big the army was. They didn't discover the weak places in the city walls. They couldn't tell Joshua all the strategic places to attack. In fact, they would be lucky to make it alive at all, back to Joshua. And yet, they came away with so much more than any of that. You see, I believe that they were sent into this place to figure out all those things. How big's the army? How, where, where can we attack? Where's the water supply that we can cut off? That was a common battle tactic back in the day, cut off the water supply to a city. 
What, what are the things that we can do in order to win this battle? And they came back with zero information except this. We, have been, we know that they are terrified and they've already given up before the battle's even started. You see, the spies didn't come back with a plan, but they came back with an assurance. They came back with no plan, but they came back with a great assurance, an assurance that this was a winnable battle, an assurance that Jericho knew it would fall at their hands, an assurance that God would fight with them. And when we are facing the walls of Jericho, we're looking for signs of victory. We're looking for bricks that'll start breaking, structure to start breaking. But they didn't find that in this moment. In fact, when they left Jericho, Jericho was, looked just as strong as it did when they came in. Nothing had changed. It, 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 was, it hadn't moved. The walls were still there. The army was still there. Nothing had changed. But that isn't the kind of movement that they experienced. You see, the movement in the mess isn't always a physical move. We're always looking for something physical to happen, something concrete that we can put our hands on. We're looking for something, but the movement in the mess isn't always a physical move. You see, the movement might be an increase in our faith. Do you think those guys had an increase in their faith? I believe they had an increase in their faith in that moment. The movement in the mess in our lives might be a shift in perspective, where we're, we're, we're looking at the situation in one way, and in the middle of the mess, God comes and says, let me shift your perspective in this mess. The movement might be an adjustment to our attitude. I don't know if you never, ever need an adjustment to your attitude. Sometimes I need an adjustment to my attitude. And in the middle of the mess, there's an opportunity for God to adjust our attitude. In fact, the movement in the mess might even be an enemy becoming an ally. And some of you have people in your lives who you might not say they're an enemy, but their actions towards you are that, that they are against you, that they are an enemy. And your prayer for them isn't necessarily, Lord, bless them and lift them up. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, stop them in their tracks. Lord, humble them. Whatever it happens to be, your prayer is, but in this mess, God might be moving some things so that the enemy actually could become an ally like he did in this situation. You see, when you're facing your Jericho, you're going to have times where nothing seems to be happening. Has anyone ever had those times when you're facing something and you're like, nothing is happening? And you've prayed and you've said, I, it's, nothing's going on. In fact, sometimes in the middle of your mess, you, things seem to be getting worse. I remember when uh, a few years ago we, we had a travel trailer and it, we found that it had a bunch of water damage. And so I took it in to get it, to get it as an estimate to get it repaired. And it, it turned out it was going to cost more to fix it than it was worth. And so I was kind of stuck. You have this idea, like, well, we're, we're done with this one. We're going to sell it, and then we'll get a different one. Or whatever. Now we're at like zero. So, so Bethany says, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I'll fix it myself. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I never fixed a travel trailer. <laughs> and so... I just started tearing stuff out. Here comes the sink, and here comes the toilet, and here comes the shower, and it was all over in our backyard. And I just started taking stuff out, and the floor was all rotted, so I start taking the floor out, and I'll just, I'll just put a new floor in, no big deal. And then I look down, and the studs, they're all rotted too. Oh, okay, well, I guess it's now the frame. And then next thing you know, I've had to take the back off of the trailer. And at some point, I'm like, this is way, I'm in too deep. 
I'm in too deep. Like I had this vision in my head. I'm just going to take off the toilet sink and the shower. I'm going to take the floor. I'm going to put a new floor down. And then we're going to go. And next thing you know, it's just now it's just gotten worse. And at some point, I'm sitting there thinking, I really hope I can figure out how this all goes back together. Anyone ever been in a situation like that before? Where you're like, and then you get done and you're like, what are these extra parts? I don't know where these were supposed to go. That's kind of what happened. But I ended up, I, I ended up it, it all ended up working out. It took, just like most home projects that I'm involved with, take 10 times longer than I imagined them. Because you get into it, and then you're like, oh, and there's another problem, another problem. And, and I think life is sometimes like a home project like that, where you get into it, you get into it, and, and I mean, it happened to me, well, again, last week, I was like, I'm just going to replace this faucet. And then you go, oh, the shutoff valves are leaking. Now I have to replace those. I've done that before, but now the project's just gotten bigger. And what was going to take 30 minutes took 30 hours, it felt like. And you get into the middle of these situations, and, and it's like, it's, it's not just getting better, it's it's worse now. It's worse. I, I, I was struggling, and then we went to counseling, and now it's worse. And you've been in these situations, I'm sure many of you. And you don't know what to do about it, but, but here's what I want you to know is that God may be using those times that even look worse to begin shaking loose some things that have been bound for too long. They begin to shake the foundations of attitudes and mindsets, that he begins to shake loose things that have been stuck for far too long in our lives that need to be unstuck. There might be victory that's happening in spiritual places that you can't see. But in the middle of the mess, I want to assure you that if you are pressing in to the Lord, there is movement that is happening in the mess. There is movement in the mess. I have talked to so many people that on their journey, whatever that journey is to healing, and I, I hope that if you're in a place where you're struggling with areas of your life, that, that you would go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to go on a, a journey to, to be healed. And that could look like a lot of things. That could look like getting a mentor. That could look like prayer. That could look like counseling. That could look like lots of different things. But on the journey, in the middle of your mess, sometimes it just feels hopeless. But I want to tell you, if you are taking steps, if you are being obedient to the Lord, there is movement in the mess. Because when you look back on your journey, when you look back and you see that God has used it all to bring you to the place where you're at, God has used it all. It's so amazing when we look back in our lives on things that God has done, and we can so clearly see, oh, he was moving all along. We can look back and say, oh, I was taking, making progress. It felt like I was standing still, just going up and then down and then up and then down. But what I was doing is I was going up and then down and up and down, and I was moving along the way to the place where I was whole and I was healed and I was restored. There's movement in the mess. We need to start looking for the movement in the mess in our lives. Because I think when we're in the mess, our attention all goes on one thing, the mess. And we have missed out on looking for the movement. And I believe that God wants to give his people eyes to see the movement that is happening. When you discover the movement, it will fuel your faith to face your Jericho. 
when you discover that movement, when you say, Lord, I need you to show me where the movement is here. I need to see this movement. When we begin to focus on that, all of a sudden my faith rises. My faith is encouraged. All of a sudden I can face my Jericho and say, you know, I don't see it moving physically, but there is something stirring in me that I know that there is movement happening in the middle of this situation. And hope begins to arise that you didn't have before. And these two spies, they discovered the movement in the mess. And they were able to take a report back to Joshua that says, what we'll find later, is you, if you stick with it and come back and hear all the messages in this series, you'll find that the battle plan and the strategy and the number of soldiers, none of that was going to matter. Because the Lord already had things moving. He was already beginning to shake things. He was already guaranteeing a victory. And these spies came back and they, they discovered this movement and they were able to share it with Joshua, but there was something even greater that was actually happening in this situation that we shouldn't miss out on as we read the word. Something even greater, if you can imagine, than the walls of Jericho falling. It was greater than the victory that Israel would have. And that was what God did in Rahab's life. Let's go to verse 12. We're going to pick up in verse 12. We'll read a few verses here. It says, Now then, she says, Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for yours, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So there's this exchange that happens where she boldly says, look, I just saved you. I hid you, I saved you. And then it says, we go on to say that she lowered them down. She, her, her home was built into a wall of the city and she was able to lower them down on a rope outside the city walls and they were able to escape and get out of there. And they said, when we come back to destroy, hang, this, hang a scarlet rope down, a scarlet cloth down your, out your window so that when we see it, we'll know that that house is to be rescued. It is marked as safe. And so there's this exchange made, this pledge made in this moment where, where she did something really courageous. She lied to the king's men and she said, they're not here. And she helped them escape and said, well, now I saved you. Will you save me? And she boldly requests to be saved. I want to look at Rahab's mess because right here in this moment, in this situation, there was movement in her mess that God was doing. She had two messes that she was dealing with. One was her living situation. She lived in a town called Jericho that God was about to destroy. That's a mess. That's not where you want to be. You don't want to be in that place. The second mess she was in was her moral situation. We've already looked at her occupation. That was a mess. And Rahab found salvation in the mess. See, where, whereas these, these men found a hope and they found a movement and they found that, that all of a sudden a new, a new courage and a new faith in the middle of this mess, she found salvation in the middle of this mess. We find in chapter 6 that she did indeed hang the scarlet cord and then when Jericho finally fell, she was saved, saved from a city and a culture full of immorality, saved from a dead religion of idol worship and false gods, saved from a life that was empty and broken. She was saved. 
She was saved from her mess, but this was more than just a chance encounter that would save her life. I mean, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be enough to be in a place that you knew was destined for destruction and you were saved from the mess? Some of you can relate in a way that God met you in a place in your life where your life was a mess and he saved you from the mess. He saved you from the mess. And oh, what a feeling to know that I've been saved from destruction. I've been saved from the mess. But this was more than just a chance encounter that would save her life. You see, Rahab didn't just escape the mess. She found redemption from the mess. She found redemption from the mess. It wasn't just that she had once been in a mess and now she wasn't. No, there was complete redemption in Rahab's life, bigger than what we can even imagine. In the New Testament, in the book of James 2.25, I don't have it up here on the notes. You can jot that down, James 2.25. It says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She was considered righteous. The encounter with the Israelite spies would not only impact her life, though, it would impact history. This encounter with the spies, her decision to rescue them and not turn them in, her decision to help them get away, her decision to say, would you save me, it actually impacted the history of Israel. That one decision that one moment of boldness. We learn from the genealogy of Jesus that Rahab would go on to marry a man named Salmon. Interesting name. (laughs) But Salmon and Rahab would get married and they would give birth to a boy named Boaz. Their son Boaz, we read about in the book of Ruth. And he is the man who redeemed Ruth in Naomi's life. Boaz is the one who the Bible calls the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who Jesus is compared to as the one who redeems. This was her son. This was the son of Rahab, the kinsman redeemer, the picture of Jesus. God redeemed her from the mess. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Because in Matthew chapter 1, we read in verse 5 and 6, it says that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. There's another redemption story, like two generations in a row. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab, who was stuck in a mess, became the great-grandmother of King David, one of the greatest men in Israel's history. Can you believe that God would do something like that? That he would redeem someone who the world would say, this person is to be thrown away, this person is garbage, this person is immoral, this person has nothing, and yet God would redeem her. And she went from being a prostitute in a city set for destruction to the grandmother of the king. That is a life situation change right there. And eventually through the same family line would come Jesus. Through Rahab's line would come Jesus. And in the midst of your mess, you're going to come across what you think are unredeemable situations. You're going to come across things that you find, these, this is an unredeemable situation. These are unredeemable things. This is an unredeemable people or an unredeemable person. Listen, there is no mess that God can't work in and through. And I want you to have that so deep in your heart that you know there is no 
mess that God can't work in and through. There is nothing that he can't do. You've just got to start looking for movement in the mess. Start looking for that movement in the mess. Look for the Rahabs that God would turn into royalty. I love this, that he took Rahab and made her royalty. That is so cool. And there are the very people that you look in, the very situations that you have in your life that you say, there's nothing good can come of this. God can turn into royalty. God can make amazing things out of. There is movement in the mess. And I believe that God wants us to start looking for that movement today that he wants us to start looking, that if you would look closely, you can begin to say, God, show me the movement in the mess, in this situation that I feel like I've been stuck in for so long. Lord, show me the movement. And if there is no movement, start asking God, God, would you start moving in this situation? God, would you start? Like, I, I wonder, and I don't know, and, uh, but I just wonder if even in this moment, as she declared out of her mouth, you guys are going to destroy Jericho. It will fall at your hands. I just wonder if the inner workings of those walls just started to crack. Not on the outside, not, not anything you could see, but something on the inside just began to deteriorate. I just, I just wonder what God did. We'll never know. But those walls would fall. And we've got to go to the Lord and say, God, would you start creating movement in this mess? Because right now, Lord, all I can see is that it's a mess. I see no movement. So God, would you start moving in the middle of this thing? See, our prayers sound more like this. God, get me out of this mess. That's a good prayer too, by the way. <laughs> well, some of you have prayed that a lot of times and the mess is still there. And so maybe, maybe there's another prayer. God, would you start moving in the mess? God, would you show me where you're moving in the mess? And I believe that he will. And when we find the movement in the mess, there is faith to face Jericho. I believe God wants to, to show you something this morning. He wants to show you where he's moving. So will you stand with me? I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you today as we close our service. And can we have our ministry team, our response team come forward? If you're in a place today where you're saying, I just, I just see a mess, I see no movement, I want to encourage you to come forward this morning and receive prayer and, and, and let us stand with you and say, God, I pray that you would generate some movement right now in this mess. You'd begin to generate some things. We're going to go before the Lord and we're going to ask him to move. So would you just close your eyes? Would you close your eyes? And if you've got a mess... And you've got these situations, you've got some Jerichos, and you, you're not seeing it. <laughs> Would you just lift your, lift your head up to the Lord and maybe lift your hands up to the Lord and say, God, would you begin to move in this mess? God, would you show me the movement in the mess? Would you just pray that out of your own mouth? Lord, would you show me the movement? Begin to just ask the Lord, Lord, would you begin to move in the middle of this mess? God, would you come? Lord God, in this situation, Lord God, that seems hopeless, Lord, would you begin to move? Would you begin to move in this way, in your ways, God? Would you start moving in the mess? Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you as your people, Lord. And I declare right now, Lord God, you look at your, you see your people and they're, they're facing the walls of Jericho in your life. And I would decree right now, in the name of Jesus, movement in that mess. 
Lord, when they've walked into a situation to try to make it better and they've made it worse, Lord God, I pray for movement in that mess. Lord God, in places that seem like there is unredeemable things and unredeemable people, Lord God, we pray for movement right now in that mess. Lord God, that, that you would begin to even in our lives, Lord God, take enemies and make them into allies, Lord God, that you would find Rahabs and make them into royalty. Lord, I pray that you would begin moving in our mess, Lord God. I invite you, Lord God, into my mess. I invite you, God, to move in the midst of the mess, Lord God. I need your movement. Lord God, would you show me, would you open our eyes to see what you're doing? Open our eyes to see, Lord, even the small things, the cracks that are beginning to form, Lord God. Lord, show us the movement in the mess. We look to you this morning and we say, God, we trust you and we need you to start moving. And so, Lord God, show us that movement in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you... Would you worship with us? Come forward, receive prayer this morning. We want to pray with you, partner with you. Let's pray that movement in the mess. Amen. Let's pray.